Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is November, and upon us is Advent and Thanksgiving, and we are still in the throes of this um, hard election of 2020 for our president to take office in 2021. And our church has offered us a number of prayers that my husband and I have been praying for what we think is a time of division in our nation. And so I'd like to start this morning by reading one of the prayers that we've been praying that probably means the most to us. And then today I'd like to talk to you about how we heal and stop hurting. O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, give us grace to take heart the grave dangers we are in through our many divisions. Deliver your church from all enmity and prejudice and everything that hinders us from godly union, as there is one body and one spirit and one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. So make us all to be one heart and one mind, united in holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and love, that with one voice we may give you praise through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in everlasting glory. Amen. I read that prayer of six or seven that um, our church provided for us. And as I read it, I immediately went to uh, Ephesians and the recall of this one, this one hope, this one faith, this one. And that is not a divided. That's one, that we are a whole. And I do think that with no reasons behind it, and I want to say loud and clear, I am not here to talk about the reasons why we face division in our country. In in some ways, in a very, not cavalier, but authentic way, I feel like saying, it doesn't matter to me why we're divided. Nearly as much is that we come together in unity, that we become one. Now, remember, this is written to the church, and there was quite a hullabaloo around the country during the time the pandemic first entered our lives and we were being sheltered and churches were being closed and people were talking about how they had to be in church and there was some religious division about church. And I remember quietly, I just remember being very quiet one morning and I thought, I am the church. It was like, it just came all over me, a truth that you and I both know. Like, who is the church? Not the building, not even the gathering of the people. It is me and you. And if you are a person who has surrendered your own will to God's will, at least a billion times, because we don't just do it once, do we? Although I often talk about the first surrender, because it's an important one. It's the one that acknowledges that there is a God, and that this God would like to be in place of our own selves, God, and that we say, I want to surrender to you, the one true living God. And then from that point on, we make a million more surrenders. 
Sometimes we don't surrender, but it doesn't matter because his love covers that. So as I thought about the division and the prayer and the oneness and Ephesians, then I thought about something I had read, and I want to say thank you to two people who gave me some information that I'm going to use today in this maybe a little longer than normal show. Um, one is David French, and the other is Wayne Grudem. And both of these pieces came to me at the same time as I was joining with some friends who are every day, we've been doing it off and on now for the last few years, but every day writing, handwriting, not typing, not just reading, but writing and reading aloud passages of scripture. And the last days we have been engaged in passages that have to do with repentance. <laughs> so now here's this prayer, here's this sense of division, here's this prayer that brings me to the unity of the church, here's this reminder of myself, and sometimes I think this show is all about my opportunity to reflect on what God is saying to me, and I hope that's encouraging to you. But in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so I began a journey for myself about daily repentance of my part, my part, and I'm asking you to join me today in your part. And I don't know what that is, but I think all of us, whether silent or loud, whether occasional or frequently, whether in my face or behind closed doors, I think we all have had a part, a contribution to the lack of unity and the division we face in our country. Now, the majority of people who listen to this podcast I think are people who have made that surrender, and we call ourselves the church. And so this is to the church. How do we heal and stop hurting? How do we, the church, heal ourselves and then provide healing for others and stop hurting? And I, I named the show that, but I, I probably should say I want to go to the hurting part first, because I think it's in the hurting part that we come to this repentance factor. So Wayne Grudem, in a book about ethics, uh, provided an amazingly thorough set of words, a set of words, a list of Christian, Christ-centered, church-centered traits or virtues. We don't use the word virtue. It's kind of an antique word now but traits, and I'm just going to read them. Some of them will be very familiar words because they come out of the Galatians 5 passage where we bear the fruit of our relationship, our surrenders to God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then there's hope, endurance, hospitality, and courage, courage. There's purity and generosity, humility and truthfulness, tenderheartedness and reasonableness or forbearance, contentment, compassion, gratitude, sober-minded, godliness, mercy, 
holiness and sympathy and sympathy. I've been rereading two of my favorite books, and my husband and I were laughing about this the other day. He said, Donna Otto, you can never use the word favorite about books because you, uh, you love books. He, he does accuse me of being addicted to books, and I'm afraid he might be right. We made the move, and I got rid of hundreds of books, and I still have hundreds of books. The things that we built most into our new house, I'm just telling it to you, were bookshelves, bookshelves for more books bookshelves for more books, more books, because I'm sure I'm going to buy some more books or inherit some more books. So I've been reading Gregory Boyle's books about his work in the South LA, California, among the gangs. And he tells this charming story about asking what compassion is. And um, he asked the group of gang members that he was talking to a number of words, and they all gave some definition. But when he said compassion, no one spoke. And he asked again, and he said, it's compassion. So compassion, what's your definition? What do you think it looks like? No one spoke. And he said it was painfully silent for a painfully long time. And then finally, one of the gang members in his broken English and very heavy Hispanic accent said, it's God. And I just weep when I hear that or read that because I think, Compassion. Compassion is God. He has compassion on us. And for all the things that I have done to hurt him and have failed, he always provides healing. The longer I live, the more I realize we simply don't know who we are until we're tested. We can vocalize our beliefs all day long, but when living those beliefs is hard, when upholding the principles that I say I believe in carries a cost, we begin to really, truly learn what we truly value. Uh, it's been Veterans Day, and there are a lot of veterans movies on, and my husband and I are saps, and we watch the uh, Gregory Peck, Sergeant York, of which we cry through every time, this film that took 20 years to create, and it was based on the true story of a man from the Kentucky Hills who went off to war. And soldiers are familiar with this concept of what we really value. And these old war movies, you've seen them. There's the soldier who brags and brags about how strong he is, and when combat actually comes, he has no spine at all. He, he falters, he fails. A lot of rhetoric in the barracks and almost nothing when it comes to action under fire. If a person believes he or she is to be brave until that bravery is tested, there's only one response. We'll see. Did you ever say that about yourself? Well, I'll see. As a young woman in faith, I... Um, I was very interested in World War II. I think I had been asked to write a research paper on some aspect of World War II and Nazism. And so there was lots of concentration camp readings and stories. And of course, the Corey Tim Boom stories of the hiding place. And I went through this period of time with great regularity, several years, wondering if I were taken to the concentration camp, how I would be. And then I met a man who had been taken as a prisoner in Russia for seven months. And he was put in a, in a space that was five foot seven, about, 
it obviously didn't have anything to measure it with, had a concrete floor. They gave him some food intermittently, interrogated him, always threatening to kill him. They only cut off one of his fingers. They obviously didn't kill him. He came home to tell a story. And as he was telling the story, this banal, uh, banal thought came to me. Instead of awe and inspiration, I thought, what would I do without my paper and pencils? My journal. And I thought, there's no way they can take me to a concentration camp. I can't even say I could handle it because just thinking about it puts me under. Many, many people have pledged something to someone. Uh, let's talk about the fidelity in marriage. How many millions of couples in America alone, but around the world, make a commitment to each other before God, only to see that commitment crumble in the face of conflict or temptation or simply wanting our own will? If a person believes himself or herself to be faithful, until that fidelity is tested, there is only one accurate response. We'll see. We'll see. C.S. Lewis talks about the virtue of truthfulness and courage. And he says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point. It takes courage. It takes courage. I recently was reading something about the remnant and the church being a remnant now in our country in that we are no longer a country that first says that we uh, follow Christ. And there was a biblical narrative that I'd, I'd like just to read a couple of verses to you. The narrative says those who weather these storms are often referred to as a remnant. I love the word remnant, and I'm always thinking about what the remnant would look like in any form or circumstances in our word, world. It's a word with rich theological heritage, harking back to Elijah's lament to God in the time when the false god Baal dominated the Israelites' life, and Elijah feared the sword of the king. In an encounter with God, Elijah declared himself to be the only one left. Do you remember it? Oh, poor is me, whine, whine, whine. Oh, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. But God contradicted him, declaring that he had reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Time and again in biblical history, the people of God are reduced to nothing but the smallest remnants. How many people actually followed Jesus to the cross? And after the resurrection, how many people does the book of Acts tell us arrived and came together, numbering around 120. The word remnant carries with it an unmistakable pain of loss. It's the surviving portion of the larger whole. But critically, the remnant also represents the seed of renewal, the seed of repentance. The critical truth is that a nation or a church or an individual, not through the virtue of a remnant, but that the remnant might represent a foundation that's truly repentant. Repentant. Truly powering the church and healing the church. And I think that's what our nation needs. And it needs it from me. It needs it from you. I often say, perhaps because singularly of all the experiences I've had with Scripture in my long life now, Peter's encounter with Jesus and all of Peter's hideous failings and out loud boisterous bad behavior 
is not enough for Christ to not stop and recognize what God planned to do with him and Peter's willingness to be forgiven and be repentant, and he builds the church on him. And I think sometimes I'm so touched by that because I think there's hope for me. I think there's hope for me. I wish I'd done a lot of things I didn't do. I wish I had done, not done a lot of things I did do. But I, I can tell you for sure that when it comes to internal place of healing, a place where these virtues that I read rather hastily, humility and contentment and compassion, compassion who is God, when they are evidenced in me, if they are evidenced in me, it is because my heart has been repentant. The wonderful thing about repentance, the wonderful thing about repentance is I can assure you solidly, absolutely, without hesitation, at every point of repentance with Christ, you will always find forgiveness. You will always find forgiveness. And so I say to you, in this time of division in our, in our church, in our country, this time of division, are you able, are you able to repent of what your contribution to that has been, your snide remark, your push against the other side, whatever side you're on, your unwillingness to surrender to the things that we've been asked to do to unite ourselves? Are you willing to ask for that repentance? I believe that in your willingness to do it, that others will follow, that each one of us will have this renewed relationship with God, that division will fall off because we will come as healing people, healed from our behaviors because we have been repentant, and healed to go out in our forgiven nature to love one another, to practice the virtues that the scripture is so pure to tell us about. Maybe it's just generosity to your neighbor, or maybe it's generosity to the person who voted against your vote, whatever that is. So I'm not talking about parties today. I'm not talking about presidents today. I'm not talking about the country today. I'm talking about the church, and the church is you and me. And I know that these days that I have been able to spend time and acknowledge my own failings and foibles in this time of election, this time of campaigning, this time of preparing for whatever is to come in the new year. I bring myself to this table of repentance and forgiveness, and I ask you to join me so that we will stop hurting one another and start healing together as a church and as a country. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of repenting. <music>